Hi, I'm Mike, lead pastor at The Ridge, and this is our weekly podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our desire is for you to grow in relationship with God, connect with others, and to experience God's purpose for life by adding value to the life of another. I hope that this message will build your faith and encourage you as we seek to grow together in God's Word. Enjoy today's message. Today we are going to talk about Haggai. I'm pronouncing it Haggai. Bible scholars will pronounce it Haggai. And we're starting a series through the books of the Minor Prophets. Now, if you're not familiar with the Minor Prophets, they're found in 12 books in the in the Old Testament. Some of them are really short. This book is only two chapters long. But Haggai, while he's a minor prophet, has some very major things to say to us today that I think we can learn from. When I read through some of the books of the Minor Prophets, and in particular, when I was studying this book a couple months ago, there was one word that I thought of repetitively, and that word was discipline. Because I often see the Lord disciplining his children in the books, in through the Minor Prophets, and in particular in this text today. We're going to take a look at it um, in just a moment. But I'm wondering if, when you think of the word discipline, if you're a teenager or a kid or an adult, if you have memories about how you got disciplined. Anybody? Now, I don't know how many of you are here in my generation. There's, there's quite a few of you. But in my generation, discipline took on many different forms. A common one was that we would get lined up in our kitchen and we'd get spanked with a yardstick. It was horrible. And if my brothers tended to have broken the yardstick across their behind, then we either would have a wooden spoon or a thicker yardstick. It was not fun. Some of you have painful memories of those days. And as we grew older, discipline took on a different form. And happy Mother's Day, Mom. I know that you might be watching today. But I remember in particular, my mother was the one that tended to scold us and discipline us. And so I have vivid memories of standing in the kitchen with my mother pointing her finger at me, saying to me, You have been disrespectful to your father and I. You are not going to have the car for the next several weeks. You're not going on a date for three weeks. And then she always tended to add this. And if you think you're going to have any extra privileges, you've got another think coming. Anybody use those words? That was my mom. And so disciplining was never fun. I'd usually leave the room. I'd go into the, go up to my room. My brothers, if they happened to not be getting punished at that time, would be around the corner giggling and laughing, so excited that I got in trouble. Some of you kids have done that when your sibling gets in trouble. That's how it happened at our house. I usually felt like I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. Discipline. Seldom fun often necessary. Let's take a look at what Haggai says to the people in chapter 1, starting at verse 1. 
He says, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, and he said, Is it a time for you to yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much but harvested little. You eat but you never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. He says it again. Go up into the mountains, bring down the timber, build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. And we'll stop there for right now. So I'll say it again. Let's face it. We don't like discipline. But when when done in the right manner... Discipline or reprimanding is good, and it's healthy, and it's often deserved. Kids, if you're sitting here today, know this, that your parents were not put on earth to make life miserable for you. But they are here to teach you how to grow up to be respectable and responsible young adults, to love the Lord. And so when they discipline you, when you don't turn in your homework, there's a reason for that. If you go to work and if you're late for work repetitively or if you don't carry through with the responsibilities that are on your job description, then there's consequences. Discipline is in order. And sometimes, whether young or old, we have to have a reminder to get back on the right track. And that's exactly what the Lord was doing here in this text. He was telling the people, here's what you've been doing Here's what I'm going to do. There's a consequence for your behavior because they've gotten off track. And you're like, well, how have they gotten off track? Let's look at the history because this is really important. If you look at history and the timeline here, the, the text starts, it says, on the, in the second year, on the first day of the sixth month. And if you were to look at a modern calendar, we would know that that ha- happened on August 29th, 520 BC. Okay. August 29th, 520 BC. And it's important because 66 years earlier, the Babylonians had defeated Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple. Okay. And then in 539 BC, okay, 19 years later, Cyrus, a ruler from Persia, captured Jerusalem And then a year later, in 538 B.C., he permitted the Jews to return to Jerusalem. And they were to return to Jerusalem so they could rebuild the temple. All right? So if you do the math here, you know that what? 
18 years have gone by. 18 years have gone by and the people are procrastinating. 18 years later and the people are making excuses. They were supposed to be rebuilding the temple, but they weren't doing it. And so God gives them kind of a kick in the pants and says, hey guys, what are you doing here? You need to rebuild the temple. How quickly do our priorities get out of whack, right? How quickly? We start a diet, and the next day it goes down the tank. We decide we're going to do X, Y, Z, but it lasts for hours or just a day. And we tend to procrastinate when we know we need to make some changes. And here's the deal. Procrastination is often produced by misplaced priorities. You can write that one down. Procrastination is often produced by misplaced priorities. Benjamin Franklin years ago made this statement famous. He said, why put off till tomorrow what you can do today? And I think we should change that. I think it should say, why put off till tomorrow what you should do today? There are a lot of things in our lives that you should do today. Now, I think it's kind of interesting. I was talking to a few different people between the services, and it's Mother's Day, right? And so some of you moms are so thrilled because you are getting a project done today that has been on the list for months. Anybody? I'm curious. Okay, none of you. Maybe just me. My Okay, Joni, good job. My husband, Chuck, he, I didn't give him any projects today. But, you know, Chuck's a real handy guy. And the problem is he can fix anything. He can fix just about anything that has to do with a house. And the problem with that is, well, he can fix anything. And so I have great expectations for him over and over again. In the 43 years we've been married, I always have a list for him. And the problem is that my list never coincides with his list, ever. And most recently, I think for about the last 10 years, um, I have an office and the floor in my office was rotting by the door and it was driving me crazy. And it had been on his list. I'm telling you, I think maybe just two years, but it felt like 10, but I was just annoyed because he would never fix it. And for some reason, the let this past winter, Chuck decided to fix it. I think it was COVID. I think he was just bored one day. But Chuck decided to fix the floor. And the, the amazing thing is, I had been trying for years. I'd tried nicely. I'd tried not so nicely. Somebody here told me, oh, wives, they just nag. I tried nagging. It didn't work. Nothing worked. But he finally took action and he fixed it. And it was a win-win for both of us, right? No more procrastination. And there are many things in our lives much more serious than fixing a floor that some of us need to deal with today or in this season. Right now, you might be getting a jab in your side. You might be getting a look from a parent. But here's the reality. There are some things in our lives that are very serious that we need to deal with and quit procrastinating on. For some of you, it might be your marriage. Maybe your marriage has been spiraling down for years and your your spouse has been asking you to get counseling, but you're like, nah, it'll get better. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe you constantly have credit card debt and you just think, ah, it'll get better. It'll go away. 
Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your mouth. Maybe it's a relationship with someone. And you just keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And here's the thing. There is not a fairy that's going to come and wave magic fairy dust over that relationship, over that situation. We have to learn to deal with that. We have to do something about it. And that's basically what God was saying to these people here in this story. He was saying, you've been building your houses, focusing all your attention on this. You've been putting off building the house, building my house, the temple. You know, we, um, there are many of you who are watching online today. And I'm so grateful for our, our online platform. And we created that. So those of you who are sick or you live far away or you're traveling or you're doing things with your kids so that you would, could engage with us and worship with us and be a part of a community. But if it becomes something that's just background noise and you just turn on the dial or you push your button and then nothing else ever happens, what good is that? What good is that? Maybe it's time to engage with God's people and with God in that platform. Because here's the thing. The church, the church was God's idea all along. All along, worshiping together as a body, as a community. That was God's idea. And the temple, the temple was God's idea. The temple was the Jewish people's church. It was their place where they came together and they worshipped. And it was significant because it's where the presence of the Lord was. The temple. And if there was no temple, there was no altar. And if there was no altar, then there was no place to offer sacrifices. And if there was no altar, there was no repentance. And this was all part of the law back then. Coming to the Lord, putting your sacrifices on the altar, being obedient to him. And without obedience, then the Lord couldn't bless them. And in verse 2, we see Haggai say to the people, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. They were procrastinating. And procrastination is a tool that the devil can use. He can use it. He can use excuses and he can use procrastination to keep you from fulfilling God's will for your life. And we need to learn to guard against it. Well, the text goes on, and it says this. And the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And he says it again. Give careful thought to your ways. He says, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while my house remains in ruin? Now here's the thing about paneling back in ancient history. Paneling was expensive, okay? It wasn't like the paneling that was in my house. We had paneling everywhere. We had paneling in our kitchen. We had paneling in our living room. We had paneling in our dining room. We had paneling in our little TV room. It was either paneling or wallpaper, all to cover up the cracking plaster walls. Anybody else? 
We had like seven, eight layers of, of wallpaper. And when that wouldn't work anymore, then we slapped on paneling. But back in ancient history, paneling was expensive, beautiful wood. And it was used to build the temple and the palaces of the kings. And apparently, here in this story, the people were taking the paneling that was meant for the temple. And they were using it on their own houses. And God says, think about this. Think about this. Consider your ways, another translation says. You're building these beautiful homes, and yet you don't have enough food or clothing or drink, even though you should. In essence, he might be saying to us today, tell me how this is working for you. When I read this text about three months ago, God convicted me of something specific. I read that, and I heard him saying to me, Julie, how's this working for you right now? And he may be saying that to some of you today. Consider your ways. Think about this. How is this working for you? How's your constant spending, 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 spending? How's this working for you? How's this dysfunctional relationship you have with another, another student, somebody else? How's this working for you? How's the way that you are treating your wife? How's the way that you're treating your spouse? How's this working for you anyway? He may be saying to someone here, he says it to me regularly through the conviction of his Holy Spirit. How's this working for you? But the thing is, we want what we want, right? We want what we want. We're greedy. We are greedy people. We live in America and we have just about anything and everything we want. But we're greedy. I know I am. I'm greedy when it comes to ice cream. That was our graphic designer. He had way too much fun with that. <laughs> I love ice cream. When I grew up, we had Schwann's ice cream, five-gallon buckets in our freezer. We had three freezers in the basement. We had ice cream for every meal. And when Chuck and I first got married, we always had ice cream. And I still to this day, every now and again, not regularly, but I take Hagen dazs peanut butter and chocolate, and I hide it in the back of the freezer so Chuck can't find it. I love ice cream. And in fact, when I was in college... I was invited to participate in a pig-eating ice cream sundae contest. Pig Sunday. It was called Pig Sunday, And it was an ice cream-eating contest. Sarah, true story. I ate 12 bowls of ice cream. I was the champion, I'm proud to say. <laughs> I had to give up my ice cream greed many years ago, but I do still love it. And here's the thing. It's, there's nothing wrong with... Having a beautiful, awesome meal. There's nothing wrong with having a nice home, nice clothes, eating out. But there is something wrong with neglecting God's priorities to pursue our own. And we tend to look for life in all the wrong places. We tend to look for abundant life. in we, We tend to look for it horizontally instead of looking for abundant life vertically. And we often have the inability to say no. We often say no. We do it with our money. We do it with our time. And then what happens is we crowd out all the things that are important. We crowd out things like spending time with our family. We crowd out time with friends. We crowd out time with God. We crowd out things that are important like date nights and Sabbath and margin. Because we're so busy doing, 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 doing that we don't think about what it means to just be 
and to put our priority in the things that need to be given priority. I love what author and preacher Francis Chan said in a recent um, message I heard him teach. He said this, we're consumers and we say yes to everything. And pretty soon there's nothing left to give God. Everyone has enough time to serve God. Everyone has enough money to give to God. Do we have enough time and money to give to God and still live the lifestyle we want? He says, probably not. Probably not. So then we have to make a decision, and we usually end up saying, this is what works for me. This is what works for me. This is what it's it's all about me. And then what happens, he says, is we give God just a little bit. Just a little bit. A familiar scripture to many of you, probably, is Matthew 16, 24. Maybe you've never heard it. It says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And church, this is a hard commandment to follow. This is a hard commandment to follow. We learned just last week from Pastor If you haven't listened to the message yet, if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to do so. Because he talks about how there's much more to being a disciple than just giving Jesus a yes. What what happens is when you're truly going to be his disciple, then there's transformation. There's things that we incorporate into our life so that we can be more and more like Christ. So that we can bring others to Christ by being his disciple. And so I have a question for you to ponder, and you can ponder it beyond today. When was the last time you gave careful thought to your ways? When was the last time you considered your ways and how things are working for you? Well, listen, God didn't send Haggai to motivate his people to rebuild the temple just because he wanted them to experience a good work ethic. He didn't want his temple rebuilt just so he could make himself feel good. No, he did it because a restored temple meant a restored relationship with God. And God wanted the people to be obedient to him, to invest in their relationship with him. And when they didn't, there was a consequence. Just like when we don't do what we're supposed to do, there are consequences. And we don't always like to hear that, right? We just want to hear him say, oh, you messed up, but my grace is sufficient. You messed up, but it's okay. That's okay. Everything's okay. We don't like the consequence. We don't like authority. But we learn lessons in obedience. We learn lessons in authority. And there's two kinds of obedience. There's two kinds. There's forced obedience and there's learned obedience. Forced obedience looks like this. Um, A couple years ago, I went to see a friend of mine, beautiful mom of four, who was put in prison because of a meth addiction. And it was so hard to see her. I'd been in her home many times out in one of the suburbs, and I go to see her in this sterile little room, and she says to me, she looks at me and says, Julie, you have no idea what it's like here. I can't go to the bathroom when I want to go to the bathroom. I can't see my kids when I want to see my kids. I can't just have someone drop in and pay me a visit. I can't work in a job that I love to work in. This is horrible. 
All they do, she said, is they tell me what to do and when to do it. That, my friends, is forced obedience. And that is what happens at times when we don't do what we should. And then there's learned obedience. Learned obedience is things like learning to get up and go to work on time, learning to pay our bills, learning to pay our taxes, learning to turn in assignments when we need to, learning to stay faithful to our spouse, learning to work out or read the scripture or pray, learning to worship together. There's blessing when we do the things we're supposed to do. There's consequence when we don't. And here in this story, there's consequence for the people directly from the hand of God because of their procrastination, their indifference, and their misplaced priorities. And God tells them, he says, I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. And this is a hard topic. This is hard because this is where we get conviction. Conviction where we say, I don't like hearing that. That's a little bit of an ouch, right? But if we're truly following God, then we have to take time to really pause, to self-examine, to reflect, and to look at our lives and say, what's not going so good right now? We need to stop and say, God, what am I doing that's off right now? We need to look under the hood of our souls and say, God, I'm messing up. I'm messing up and I need you. I need you. This is what David did, right? This is what David did in the Psalms. He said in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He said in Psalm 139, Oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You're acquainted with all my ways. Friends, coming before God, coming before him in repentance, seeking his face, seeking forgiveness. That's what David did. And it's the reason Jesus went to the cross for us. We don't have to bring our sacrifices to an altar. What a messy job. But they did it again and again and again. They brought their animals. They brought their offerings to the altar time and again. It wasn't a one and done thing. And we have the opportunity moment by moment, day by day, just like David, to self-reflect, to seek his forgiveness, and to turn, to turn from our ways. That's what the people did here. That's what the people did. They heard God's correction. They took action. They turned from self and turned to God. And the text tells us in verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant, the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God, And when they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Feared. They revered. They went to him in reverence. And Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people in this message from the Lord. He said, I'm with you. Thus says the Lord. This is a potent message. This is a potent message. 
And it's one that I think God wants to speak to all of us, telling us to put first things first in our lives. It's written to people just like, just like you and me, written to people who, like us, would tell you that God should be put first. And they believed that, and so do we, right? So do we. But they drifted into this way of life where their belief in the supremacy of God, well, it wasn't reflected by the way that they lived. It wasn't reflected by the way they lived. They gave lip service to God, but lived with other priorities. So through the book of Haggai, through this text, through chapter 1, God's people are challenged to consider their sinful ways, and they're challenged to turn from them. And they're given the opportunity to look at what's wrong and to turn from the patterns and the behaviors and make things right with God. And so are we. So are we. We can come to him. We don't have to go to this altar. We can come to him in the sacred places of our own homes. We can come to him here in a corporate gathering where sometimes worship and extending our praise to God brings out something in us and convicts us of something we need to turn from. We come to him and we think about his death on the cross, his resurrection, and we know we don't have to live in guilt and shame, but we can live convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit to be all he wants us to be, to do all he wants us to do. To follow him the way he wants us to follow him. And I want to ask you this morning, once again, give careful thought to your ways. Friends, don't brush over that. It's easy to. I think sometimes that's why we are so busy. Because it covers up that that place where we just truly come to um, understand and I guess maybe accept Or acknowledge that there's something here. There's something I need to deal with. And for some of you, maybe today is the day where you come before him. You turn from something. And it's the day the Lord is going to deliver you from. Name it. Maybe today it's a conviction that you need to turn from the, from the tongue and the, the, the bitter, the shameful, the critical tongue. Maybe someone here has been critical towards their wife year after year. And this is the day that you come and you say, I'm going to start honoring my wife. Maybe this is the day that an addiction that you've been dealing with, that God delivers to you from that. And you come and you acknowledge it before him. Or maybe he's going to restore a relationship with a parent, a friend. Someone that you have been thinking about taking the first step for years. But you're like, mm, I'll get there someday. Maybe today's the day. Thanks for joining us today and listening to our weekly podcast. My name is Will Heron. I'm the director of discipleship here at The Ridge. If you would like to dig a little deeper into what we've been talking about today, uh, be sure to check out Beyond the Sermon. This is a weekly devotional that goes out after second service on Sunday. There you'll find the scripture that we've been looking at some questions for you to to dive into. But then there's also a discussion uh, that I have with whoever is teaching that Sunday, and we just dive deeper into different themes and topics from the sermon. If you've enjoyed our podcast, feel free to share it with your friends, and also jump on our website, ridgelife.org, to get more connected here at the Ridge.